Hello and welcome to Music Speaks. This podcast dedicates itself to how music impacts people's lives. For this show, we usually have three co-hosts, myself, Hunter Sagona, Mary Haddix Hermans, and Sean Ramkunis. However, today Mary's place is being taken by our fourth honorary member here, Nick Cario. Uh, myself, Mary, Sean, and Nick all believe that people have a playlist that make their life unique through music. We pride ourselves on building upon our musical knowledge with our featured guests, jamming to incredible music, talking about a wide variety of artists and composers, and everything in between. Okay, so um, today's quote is the following. I'm strong on the outside, not all the way through. I've never been perfect, but neither have you. And that is by the late, great Chester Bennington of the infamous band Linkin Park. And that is correct. And Linkin Park is an American rock band from Agora Hills, California. The band's current lineup comprises vocalist, rhythm guitarist, keyboard Mike Shinoda, lead guitarist Brad Nelson, bassist Dave Farrell, DJ slash turntablist John Han, and drummer Rob Bourdon, all of whom are founding members. Vocalists Mark Waitfield and the late and great Chester Bennington are former members of the band. Categorized as alternative rock, Linkin Park's earlier music spanned a fusion of heavy metal and hip-hop, while their later music features more electronics and pop elements. And that was via Wikipedia. And today we have my friend, as Hunter mentioned, my friend Nick. And we will be talking about their second album. And uh, Nick, I hope I say it right, Meteora. Uh, Yeah, I I just got to interrupt for a sec here. Uh, you said the DJ's name was John Han. It's Johan. Johan. Sorry, but I can't. I can't let you butcher his name like that. John Han. Okay. Okay. Great. <laughs> the great Joe. Whose nickname was John? His nickname was actually John. Um, and uh, so stay with us, and we will be back. All right, and we are here with Nick. All right, Nick, and are you ready to talk about, is it Meteora? Yeah. All right, I want to make sure I get that right. That's fine, yeah. Even if Um, you had gotten it wrong, it would have been fine. mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's always nice to get things right. Um, So the first song on the the album that we're going to talk about is Numb. And... uh, you know, it has this sort of like weird opening sound. Like, I don't know if it's a synth or a piano, like, and then it leads into this like chorus of the, you know, that I find the screams always come during the, the chorus parts. Um, so I guess the biggest question, I guess, for a lot of people who are not Linkin Park fans or really fans of the genre um, would be like to start off, what appeals to you about the sound of this? Because I know a lot of people who they hear this immediately and they're like, dear God, this person is disturbed. You know, it's like, they might not get it. So to you, as someone who's clearly not disturbed, what do, what appeals to you about it? Um, I think so. The way it starts, you were mentioning, um, it is definitely kind of a mix of piano and synth. I can tell mm-hmm. you, having uh, seen this performed live a few times, um, it, it does usually start with the piano as well yeah. as uh, synth. Um, so I think what appeals to me about this song, well, first of all, if you talk to a lot of people who, um, 
you know, got into rock music in the 2000s like I did. Um, for me, it was the late 2000s around middle school. They'll tell you that their gateway uh, song, you know, a lot of times was either In the End or Numb by Linkin Park. Um, because it's, it's a, you know, both were massively, massively popular songs. Like you could not turn on any, any sort of, you know, rock radio station in that time and not hear one of those songs. Okay. Not necessarily pop stations, but um, talking more alternative rock. Um, so one thing that definitely appeals to me is this is the song that got me into, you know, all the music I listen to today. But ah, what so there's also of, nostalgia to it. Yes, absolutely. Uh, that's, that's a key aspect. Um, mm -hmm. The other part is Chester's voice, the way it starts, you know, it's just this. It doesn't start off, you know, screaming. It's, um, you know, a very kind of soft, kind of almost melodic sounding vocals. Yeah, it does. It starts very much like, you know, it really, you know, for lack of a better term, screams early 2000s. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. it's, it has that. When he's before the screaming part, it'd be the melodic voice you're mentioning. It really has yeah. that sound of like early 2000s, like um, uh, I don't even know how to describe the ambiance I'm thinking of, but very, very of the period. And I think something that was so unique about Chester was he had the ability to really, um, you know, other artists do this, but, you know, something about his voice he had the ability to really cut through like the way he was feeling mm -hmm. and to get that across to the listener, not only with his lyrics, but just the tonality and everything with his voice. It's so, it's, it's so, it can be such, he has such clean vocals, but he also can, you know, turn it up and be very gritty and, shouting and screaming yeah um, it is it's funny I, it almost sounds like two different people when you when you listen to it the two different kinds of singing yeah. that he does you wouldn't know it was the same person yeah so um I, I just think that song sort of encapsulated um you know what lincoln park was in those days you know uh, mm -hmm. they really in the mixing of genres not so much in this song this song numb was more of a, a pure rock song uh, compared to some of the other songs on the record. But mm -hmm. um, I, I just think it hooks the listeners emotions in. And, you know, I, I listened to that song on repeat, repeat so many times yeah. when I was that age. And do you, what is the song? Cause that, the title is obviously numb. So, like, what are, they, what are they referring to, for those who don't know the song? Yeah, um, so, you know, the main chorus goes, I've become so numb, I can't feel you there. Ah. Um, that's, so the song kind of is, it can be interpreted a lot of different ways. Um, one way, well, not a lot of different ways, but 
definitely, um, you know, whether it's depression or some sort of, um, maybe you just got a lot going on in your life, or maybe you are this confused uh, teenager, adolescent, um, or all of the above. Uh, and, you know, sometimes when you're dealing with an overwhelming amount of emotion, you can, you know, just start to feel like nothing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's yeah. kind of your brain's way of coping in a way. Um, so I think that song uh, in some ways speaks to that feeling. Very cool. Um, it's definitely, you know, when you say Linkin Park, I think a lot of people, this is sort of the, what they think of as the sound, you know what I mean? It's sort of their staples, yes. you know, I and mean, even yeah. me who didn't, you know, know much about the group, like I knew they had this kind of, of sound. Um, yeah. And speaking of this kind of sound, uh, there's no connection there. My, my powers of segue failed there. So Sean's going to talk about the next one, um, which is a different song called Hit the Floor. That's right. Um, and the reason why Nick wanted to talk about this music today was he had mentioned to me that there is sort of a 20-year anniversary around yeah. this second album because the album initially released in 2003. So oh. we have a little bit of that reason of, of obtaining and talking about this music today. Um, so Hunter's right. The next song we're going to talk about is mm. called Hit the Floor. Um, something interesting, Nick, about the song and each individual song that I find in the album is that, and Hunter mentioned that kind of similarly to the, the beginning of his piece, which was there is something different about each individual song where some there's something weird sounding and then the beginning of the song starts. Is that something to do with the actual, like, um, is that, I think we talked about that a couple of times with some songs uh is that just sort of like just like a delayed insurance is that kind of like a trend we, we talked about transitions before right well there are actual trend there are two two yeah there are two or three transition sort of tracks on the album um i think what it is more at least on this album i think they did a much better job with transitions in their later albums mm -hmm. um personally but part of the reason why they kind of have like a bit of an electronic intro to it um, is because, you know, at that time they were, they had this huge success, ginormous success with Hybrid Theory, number one album on the planet, bigger than Britney Spears. Really? Um, yeah, they all outsold Britney Spears in 2000. Um, but they were getting kind of a reputation for being extremely manufactured uh mm -hmm. as if they'd come out of like a test tube um and they wanted to prove the doubters wrong on their second album by experimenting a little bit more you know with things like intros and their sound um while still you know trying to remain core to the time period and who were they were at the time as a band right. yeah. um so i think it's more experimentation right. um to you know see okay what what works here you know what funky new thing we can we put in right something that i notice about some of the songs that we've listened to that has um 
Linkin Park intros, they have these like over develop. They have these developed uh, guitar ostinatos, and I know that seems a little too musical, but I mean like it's a it's a it's a, it's a rhythmic pattern that's good that's gets kind of like c- cycled throughout an entire piece. And I'd say yeah. that 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 thing that the, I think Mike plays in the beginning is quite sort of to help then set up the groove later in the song. And yeah. something that I noticed throughout all the songs, and I'll kind of bring this up as I as I go along, is the relationship between fast and slow, which is kind of interesting because the tempo feels grounded, but sometimes the lyrics feel fast and a little manic. But I think that adds to the experience of the piece. Yeah. In my eyes. And I think that's why I kind of enjoyed it so much, which was feeling that that connection and then also understanding the connection of what makes the groove fit so well. Um, so and I feel like we talked about this before, and I know this isn't your favorite topic to talk about, but for those who are who are interested and interested in sort of learning about alternative rock, what is alternative rock? You're asking me what alternative rock is? Um, Hunter was the one who had the hand up. No, oh. no, you, no, go ahead, bud. No, I'm, okay. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Go ahead. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Alternative rock, I think, originally was sort of a label put on rock artists who weren't like, didn't fit kind of the traditional mold. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe at some more softer songs as well as heavier songs. Right. I think that was sort of the original intention. Right. I think nowadays a genre really doesn't matter as much as it used to because Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, the explosion of services like Spotify, where you can get whatever you want, uh, whenever you want. So um, I don't think genre matters as much as it used to, but alternative nowadays is more, it's just, if something is remotely, has some sort of remote guitar or rocky aspect to it, but, you know, isn't like, heavy it just gets thrown to alternative as the label right right yeah okay like for example a lot some of billy elish's did i pronounce her last name right billy Billy eilish 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 yeah 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 she um some of her music is considered alternative and yet some of hers you know you listen to and a lot of it is kind of pop as well and I'm remembering because what was so interesting about this song in particular was has how the, the groove develops throughout the song and then the combination of the screaming and the singing and the and and, and that playfulness really does really kind of yeah. create such a um and something that I know to notice about your musical tastes is that within this wild, crazy space, there is this hyper organized aspect to it you know which i which i know about you but but that that to me is such a a cool concept to think about um i want to ask you about the ending of the song because the ending of the song has this very nice fall at the end of the piece um does that kind of 
in a way make you think of anything? Yeah, does it make me feel a certain way? Yeah, yeah. The fall at the end of the piece. Um as you as you're probably hitting as you're like about to like pass out and then hit the floor, you know what uh, I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, I I actually that's a good kind of sort of the physical motion. Hunter was just gesturing. He was like, Yeah. Yeah, so you're talking about like kind of the guitar at the end? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, it definitely does end abruptly. Um, you know, it, it also with this song, if you notice, um, there's a the call and response is probably the biggest aspect to it between Mike and Chester. Right. Um, and I think, yeah, the, the song is meant to end on, you know, like a done, like you did, in fact, hit the floor. Right. Right. Gotcha. So actually, that's a good way of looking at it. Right. Yeah. And not that anyone would be listening to this piece, but in fact, the next song is nobody is listening to this piece. Um, yeah. No, it's called Nobody's nice. Listening. Nice, Hunter, take it away. Nice, nice, nice one. That, that was a good one. Yeah. So um, this song, Nobody's Listening, um, you know, it, it's clearly a theme. And in fact, it's funny, we were watching the the parody of of the band right prior to starting the episode. And I notice a lot of their songs, and I don't know if this is a genre thing or if it's just them specifically, but I notice obviously a lot of their topics of, of songs are not light issues, right? It's a lot of very heavy, emotional, um, almost ang borderline angry um, topics that they cover. And is it a genre thing? Like, is that something common to the genre, or is it just them? No, no. Uh, new metal, up. which is the genre that their first two albums are. Um... Hunter, have you ever um, heard the saga about, um, or the story about Woodstock '99? No. You got it. There's a couple documentaries on it. I highly recommend you watch it as it very much encapsulates uh, the timing of this sort of music yeah. uh, and how it led to a huge disaster. Um, no. And um, so you had bands like before Lincoln Park, like um, Rage Against the Machine were a big one. Mm. Um, at the same time as Lincoln Park, you had bands like Disturbed, uh, System of a Down, um, and they all, you know, it, it very much that corn is another one mm. um, with a K. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, they, they all do deal with very heavy issues. So that's just kind of a thing with the genre. And why do you think that is? Um. Because I think a lot of people, um, I think at the time when these bands sort of formed, there was kind of like some discontent within society mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, you know, especially I think after 9-11. I mean, yeah. the, the, this music definitely existed before 9-11, um, but 
I think that definitely kind of took it up a, a notch, kind of this realization, I guess, in the late 90s, early 2000s, that, you know, people had this feeling like things weren't really going the right way, mm -hmm. you know, um, the nineties started off like very promising, you know, you had the end of the cold war. Um, and then, you know, you had, um, a very mild recession in the early nineties that kind of gave way to this period of prosperity. But then, you know, on the cultural side, you had the death of Kurt Cobain of Nirvana. Um, and, you know, some other events that just sort of happened, like the, it was the 997 bombing of, it was basically the precursor to 9-11. Right. Um, and some other, you know, sort of attacks. And I think that all just sort of that discontent sort of, bubbled up into uh, this form of music. Mm -hmm. that, a very angry you know, set of young people. Yes, exactly. And that's why I really encourage you to watch the Woodstock 99 uh, documentaries because it really captures that very well. We'll have to look into it. It sounds very interesting. And I think that's a very insightful comment. I think it's, I think it's a very true um assessment of the world at that time it was it sort of seemed like it was spiraling out of control and everything i think everyone thought the world was going to end in 2000 because they were yeah, like y2k machines. right exactly um so on a musical side to this um is it common for them to use rap in their music yeah, yeah. i mean that's that's you can't especially those early lincoln park albums they're in part defined by the interplay between rock and rap. Um, yeah. And so this song is very much, um, you could call it like a quintessential Linkin Park song. Like it, it is ex exactly what you would expect. All right. So that sort of answers that question because I know it does come up later on. Um, there's like a flute playing in the background of the whole song, and it's got this very Eastern sound um, to the music and very minor key. Um, and when it plays, you know, there's also this, you know, at, at about 40 seconds in, the main singer comes in, and then so you've got the rapper plus the flute plus the metal. What do you think made them mix all this? Like, what are they going for with the song Nobody's Listening? Um, well, what they were going for, um, well, I definitely think people, it's funny you should say about the flute because, you know, I've known that I've heard that song a thousand times, but I never really thought, oh yeah, that's a flute. Mm -hmm. It, it's not that, like, I didn't appreciate it. I think it's what makes the song unique among the others on the album. But um, yeah. I suppose I was not listening to uh, to that aspect. Hmm. Oh, look at that. Kind of buried, it was kind of buried deep in there. Yeah, well, see, look, fresh eyes, yeah. you know, sort of like from perspectives. Um, um, just because it starts off 
with it. And it's it's listening to it. I'm like, why are they playing like this? I think it's a pan flute or something. Like it just seems so out of character from the previous song. Um, yeah. I didn't know if it was a sampling of something that they were using in and overlaying it. Because you know, obviously with a lot of rap, that's what happens. Um, they take a, a the, the sampling and then they add their own stuff over it. So I, I was just curious, and and who nobody's listening. Is it no one's listening to them, or is it no one's listening to something like the the world, the crises, or? I think the song was more. I don't know if it was written about like any particular member of the band. I think it was just they're writing a song about you know, maybe some somebody who was trying to um, say something or had some sort of an issue, but everybody around them was just ignoring them. Mm-hmm. Um, Which would fit very well with, you know, your assessment of exactly how everyone was feeling at the time. Yeah, that's true. So, um I don't really have like a deep analysis of the lyrics. I don't really know personally what it's about um, in terms of if it was written by or for any of the one, the band members, but yeah. I don't know, I was just curious. Um, It's of all the ones on the album, I think it's the, or the ones that I had heard, um, definitely the most unique, I think. It's definitely the, the one that stands out. I think a trap, um, I wanted to bring this up now. I think a trap that some people, I see this, you know, especially on YouTube, uh, now that there are some, well, spoiler alert, but there are some, uh, with the 20th anniversary, some unreleased tracks that are coming out. I think there's a tendency, um, since Chester's um, dying by suicide back in, 2017 for people to look back on the music and think that everything was that was written was about him and his struggles and there's a real Uh, tendency among the fan base to um view it that way and while it does make sense um you know actually the lyric believe it or not there are five other people who are in that band and uh not no yeah so no one of them wrote all the lyrics so Mm -hmm. it's not it's not about any one individual member that's that's a very good point you know i think especially when tragedy surrounds uh any sort of group or any sort of artist i think people tend to look back and try to find like the hints that it was coming you know what i mean and I think with this song, especially people say, oh, try to give you warning, but everyone ignores me. Sometimes yeah. those sometimes those songs are just written in the moment and they're not some sort of cryptic message cry for help. Right. That's a yeah. good point. It's a that's a very good point. And Anyways, we get back on topic. <laughs> no, but I mean, that is, you know, that is a large part of, you know, like so albums like these. I think they wanted to get people talking, um, even if in, in in perhaps not the same way, but different ways. Um, and from there, we run to the next song. John, 
That's right. The next song is called Easier to Run. Um, uh, I was going to say, Nick, this sort of precedes in the end in a way. One of the lighter songs of the album in a way. Um, a lot different than my first song. Um, I wanted to ask you um, the title, what possibly does it mean? And maybe your connection to, to what maybe Linkin Park was trying to say. Did you just, wait, at the beginning you had said something about it being a precursor to In the End? In a way, for, for me anyway, just because... Wait, it, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Sure, yeah. I think, to me, it, it was the more ballad-like song. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't fast, it was a little on the slower side, there was more harmony, you know what I mean? Okay. That's what I was trying to go after, I think. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I guess I could see what you mean, yeah. Okay. Um, and what was your other your, the actual question to me? Yeah, just maybe discuss what easy to run means to you or oh. to the band. Yeah. Um, you know, I think a lot of people um, find it much easier to run away from their issues than you know, tackle them. Right. Um, yeah, whether whether it just be by distractions of any sort. Um, some people, unfortunately, you know, fall into alcohol and drugs as means of escape. Uh, but the song is just about somebody, you know, trying to run away from their issues in life. Um, and part of it is also, you know, regret about past decisions. Right. Uh, so, you know, like the lyrics, if I could change, I would take out the pain, I would replace mm -hmm. every wrong move that I made, I would. Um, it's about, you know, past regrets. And right. um, I don't think anybody on this place we call Earth uh, gets to live a life without having said some or done something at some point that they regret and, you know, right. makes them perhaps cringe at times a little bit. Right, right. So I think that's one reason why I love this song so much is because you know, I feel like everybody in a way can relate to it. Right, right. And sort of very similar to that, I found the song very introspective, very interesting, very groundbreaking in a way, um, and has hinted on a lot of themes that we've talked about already, dealing with insecurity, dealing with um, thoughts of like discouragement and stuff like that, and, and really honestly dealing with that. Um, and I really thought that the song itself felt refreshed and honest and really honestly very interesting based on all of that um i wanted to ask you about this because i i know that we've 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 sort of touched upon it a couple of times but um what is your relationship to maybe slower lincoln park songs or like more ballad like lincoln park songs what do you do you have a do you have a favor to those or do you prefer the ones that we previously were talking about
I mean, that really depends on the mood, my mood. Right. You know, Linkin Park to date has made seven albums and, you know, especially in their post 2003 albums, you know, it did introduce a lot more ballad style songs. Uh, and I think it just depends on what I'm, if A, I'm feeling like listening to Lincoln Parker music in general at that moment and B, if I am, what I'm looking for. Right. Um, so I think it just depends. I would say, I, I think Breaking the Habit, which I saw as their next one, it, it is much more melodic and a slower pace than Right. um yeah. this song yeah in my opinion one of my favorite questions that i wanted to ask you was what makes this song bop so hard and i'll i'll preface that with this nick which is yes the song is slow yes we have this relationship between slow and fast with the lyrics and some of the rapping and some of the some of the really hardcore musical meaning um that to me is the reason why the song bops so hard you can really feel the emotional pressure just cooking you know and i feel like that really comes across really strong well personally i think nobody's listening is much more of a bop kind of a tune there you go, there you go. um mm -hmm. i wouldn't say i'm listening if i listen to easier to run which by the way it's been a long time since i've actually listened to that particular song uh, but, um, yeah, if I was, when I listen to Easier to Run, it's more cathartic, whereas Nobody's Listening maybe would be a song I would listen to, like, during a workout or something. Yeah, I was just going to say, you listen to that while you're on the treadmill, right? Uh yeah, while well, I'm on the treadmill or the bicycle. Ah, gotcha, of course. Um, Nick said the next title of the song, the next title of the song is something I'm trying to get Hunter to stop doing. Um, it is uh, breaking his habits, sorry, um, breaking the habit. So Hunter, take it away, brother. Yeah, it's my one bad habit. Um, <laughs> there's only one. Um, so the first thing that struck me about this one was, was I mean, I was striking. Um, it reminded me of this sort of the ticking of a clock, um, the beginning of it. It has that really like that effect comes across like in time. Right, exactly. Yep. It's just it's and we like that again, that's an ostinato, right? And then um, but more than that, there's another one that sort of keeps going throughout the it repeats throughout the whole track. And mm -hmm. that concept makes me think very merry, very clockwise, right? Time, repetitive. Um, and a habit is something that is that right? Yep. So that was where my mind first went. Um, and there's also a lot of sound effects of this in the song. And you mentioned that the later Linkin Park albums they moved more into like electronica. Um, is that something that became more prevalent as their music went on? Like a yeah. lot of these little like uh, they're not technical terms, but like bleeps and bloops and bops and all these kind of things. Um. Is that something that became more of a commonality for them? Yeah. Um, I think once they got, you know, past Meteora, um, you know, they, they kind of went through, they wanted to 
reinvent themselves as a band. Um, so that's when Minutes to Midnight came out in 2007. Um, and that's why it took them four years between those two albums, because they were trying to figure out, okay, like, where do we go from here? How do we not get trapped in this, you know, new metal label? Right. Like, they need what to do we do now? Um, and like revamp? Yeah, revamp their sound. And, you know, luckily, you know, for them, they're, they did have this, you know, sort of foundation of, you know, experimentation with, you know, some electronic sounds. So, um, yeah. Um, the, the sort of interesting thing about this song um, is initially, um, this was written by Mike Shinoda um, and he was writing it um, actually, you know, and he, he was writing it, I'm not sure if he was writing it about Chester, but um, was, Chester did struggle with, um, you know, habits and addictions throughout his life, but he gave the lyrics to Chester and Chester couldn't sing them initially because he was bawling his eyes out because really? he just felt so he felt like he related so much to it so there's actually a demo it's a really bad demo of this song that mike is singing um mike's singing has luckily improved over the years um <laughs> but back in 2002 when that demo was written ooh, that was rough mm -hmm. um, but eventually he got himself to be able to sing it yeah chester did yeah and you know every every concert you know since 2003 pretty much has had breaking the habit in it because it became a staple really and it, be, it became yeah. a staple because um of its connection to the lead or is it because of its just like general popularity uh general popularity for the most part um it, and the fact that it was one of their kind of first really softer sounding songs mm -hmm. that gained mass popularity um so i think in a way it was a way for um chester to show hey i'm not just the screaming shouting guy i can you know i got more to me than that oh very cool well speaking of breaking we're going to take a quick break, actually. And Nick, would you be so kind as to read our um, sponsorship? Sure. So let me know when. Right now. So this uh, episode is sponsored by Anchor. If you would like to support this podcast, please go to anchor.com. You can search Music Speaks podcast on multiple listening platforms such as Apple Music, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Spotify, and many more. And we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. More music is on its way. And my name, of course, is Sean Rancunas. And I'm Hunter Sagana. And I'm Nick Herio. We will see you next time to discuss Icelandic Chinese artist Laufey. Keep listening to what you love.